This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And the team and I are on a little vacation until November the 13th when we'll bring you again an original self-work podcast. But I went through the first 100 podcasts and picked either ones that were some of my own personal favorites or ones that are really very how-to. And we'll actually bring you two of them a week, always with the idea of reaching out to those of you who are already comfortable with psychological and emotional issues, perhaps you're in therapy, to those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers, or for those of you who wouldn't darken the door of a therapist's office, but you might just be curious enough to listen to a podcast like Self Work. So here's the rundown. The first will be Tina Turner Takes a Seat, and that's all about me, actually. I'm Tina Turner. (laughs) Although that's a little bit hard to believe, but it's all about handling aging gracefully. The next is how to learn from a mistake. And there's some very basic tips I give you there. Then another how-to the day before Halloween, three very practical exercises to increase your self-esteem. If you've been listening to self-work for a while, you know I'm all about what you can do about it. And so this gets very specific. On the anniversary of Perfectly Hidden Depression coming out, I pulled a podcast about answering your questions about Perfectly Hidden Depression, and they were great questions. I can't believe the book's been out a year. The next is the day of the election, and I decided to republish an episode called Kindness Matters. I'm remembering someone in this episode who was very kind to me during a particularly chaotic part of my life. The next is another how-to How to Become an Emotional Grown-Up. And many of you have told me that this particular episode really applied to you and your life. And then the last is right before we come back on, all about the victim-savior relationship. A lot of you wanted to know more about that when I recorded the Trauma Bond podcast just a few weeks ago, so I decided to pull it back up for you. So I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts again. We'll be back with fresh shows on November the 13th, but we're having a little bit of rest and vacay, as they say. (laughs) But before I sign off, I would like you to hear this offer from BetterHelp, a sponsor of the Self Work Podcast, and who I'm delighted to have on board. They've got a special offer for you. When I was approached by BetterHelp now several months ago, COVID hadn't emerged, and I'd maybe conducted a handful of telehealth sessions, mostly when someone was sick and couldn't make it into the office. Now, five months later, I'm even more of a believer in telehealth. It took some getting used to, but actually, clients sometimes seem more relaxed. It fits better into their schedule, and although many have told me they miss seeing me in person, it's still been a very fulfilling relationship. I've even started new patients, and they've told me they had positive experiences, so we've never actually met in person. BetterHelp is rated the number one online therapy service that's available to you wherever you live. Confidential and highly personalized, 
It's much less expensive than normal talk therapy. You can text, have video chats, or just talk on the phone. You outline what you're looking for, and BetterHelp suggests several therapist options for you. If you don't seem to find a way to connect with one, they'll ask you more about what you're looking for and then suggest others. I, of course, tried it out before I was going to recommend it to you, and the two therapists I had sessions with listened well and made great suggestions for me, and one said, actually, I might make myself. I talked about my own panic disorder and a very scary situation I'd been through, and they were caring and thoughtful. And I was amazed at how easy it was to get in touch with them to make time changes, for example. Although BetterHelp can't be there in emergencies, nor could any online provider, they have all kinds of information about what you can do in that special circumstance. And today, BetterHelp has a great savings offer for you. If you use the link trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork, again, that's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash selfwork, you can enjoy a 10% discount on your first month of sessions. After five months of seeing how people relate to telehealth, I'd highly recommend it. If self-work has helped you, maybe BetterHelp can give you an even more personal experience with therapy. And so, now we'll focus on the topic of the day. Take care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and I'll see you November the 13th. You know, sometimes you just have to laugh at yourself. I got home from work one night last week, and my husband kind of grinned at me. Instead of his routine question about what we were having for dinner, he promptly asked, anything in my hand? No. Nothing up my sleeve, because he's always trying to be funny. No. Why? I was beginning to be kind of impatient. Then what he did was he pulled a dry cleaning clip off my right shoulder. You know those little white ones that keep the shirt on the hanger? And then he pulled it off my left shoulder. So I started laughing. I'd obviously been flaunting them all day. And a few decades ago, that might have set me into quite a spin, but not really now. I did wonder if my patients had thought all day that I was a little kooky or absent-minded, but no one said a word. But that particular incident got me thinking about confidence and humility, the kind of confidence that comes from accepting your flaws, of being humble, of not being ashamed of making mistakes, because we all make them. I wondered if I'd really managed to acquire it finally. Could I walk around with dry cleaning tags dangling from my shirt and be okay? You know, I'm not sure if I'm totally confident. I don't really think so. But other than remembering important dates and times, which isn't so hot if you forget, I'm not as busy trying to prove I'm right about things anymore, or that I'm all put together. Years ago, I wanted to hear a man speak at a national therapy conference. He had a great reputation. I'd bought a recording since I couldn't be at the conference itself. And as I tossed the cassette in, and that will show you how long ago it was, I heard his introduction and waited. He had written a lot of books, so his intro was long and quite impressive, really. But these were his first very simple words. What I have to offer today is not based on my success, but on my failures. I have never forgotten that. I had never heard anyone else say it, and I listened with rapt attention for the next hour or so. 
I don't even remember the new therapeutic process that he'd created or what his books were about, but I've always remembered his humility and his honesty. And my gut knew he was right. I was the same. As I thought about being a therapist, as I thought about being just a person, a mom, a wife, a daughter, a woman, I've learned from failing, trying and not succeeding or not trying at all, giving up, giving in, rationalizing, discounting, all those things that you do when you look back and you say, oh, wow, that was a mistake. Now, my mistakes haven't been proud moments by any means. But taking the time to analyze and try to understand what's behind what you have perceived as failure, combing through those behaviors, thoughts, and actions can help you grow. I could succeed all day long, but I didn't learn as much as when I struggled, when I had to push through some barrier or some block. Maybe when you think about it, your life has been the same as you pause and think, well, what really do I learn from things I already know how to do, things that come easily to me, things that are in my skill set. It feels good to know that you have that sense of competence, but where you really learn is when you have to build a new skill. Of course, very pertinent to this is letting go of shame, and I have a podcast on that. I probably will have more because shame is an extremely dominant emotion in our culture. I think it's podcast number nine, in fact, Healing from Shame. But I think there's several questions that are important to ask instead of spending a lot of time shaming yourself. Now, having regret and remorse, especially if your mistakes hurt other people, that's important. But I think there are questions that you can ask yourself that help you work through mistakes that you might feel you make and are part of being humble. Today, I've listed five of them. There are probably more, but these are the five that came to mind. First of all, what did you not admit to yourself? You know, there's a book by Daphne Kingma, K-I-N-G-M-A, called Coming Apart. She talks about when relationships fall apart, that really when you analyze it or look back on it, there's probably something that you almost intentionally ignored, something that stuck out that you knew in your gut, ooh, this is a bad sign, this may be a problem, and you were in lust love, as I call it, (laughs) and you either pretended wasn't there or you said would get better or something. So we all have to look at what we didn't want to admit to ourselves would be a problem. The second question to ask is, Was I acting out of a destructive emotion? Was I acting out of anger? Was I acting out of shame? Was I acting out of fear or a need to avoid something? A lot of times when we act out of these emotions, especially when they are intense, we later regret what we've done or said. So learning how to not allow those emotions, especially when they are very intense, to govern your actions can be vital. The third question, what did I believe that was in error? What was I telling myself? You know, maybe you weren't in denial like number one, but the belief you had wasn't rational. How many of us have thought, ah, you know, it's going to be in the 50s today or the 40s, but I don't really need a coat. And then you froze to death. (laughs) So you had an irrational belief. 
You just didn't want to go get your coat. And obviously, they're more serious ones. But if you can catch the belief that was an error or that wasn't rational, then you're more likely perhaps the next time to go get that coat. The fourth question is something that might sound as if I'm trying to put a positive spin on making mistakes. And again, some mistakes are much worse than others. But I think it's an important question. What did I need to learn? I read one book on parenting, which I probably should have read a bunch more, but it was by Barry Brazelton, and he was talking about at all the different ages that your child will be in all the phases of their life, that if you're trying to teach them something and they're not learning it, that it's important to try to tune in to what they are trying to learn, help them learn that, and then perhaps they'll be more open to learning what you want them to learn. I always thought that was an interesting concept. So if you apply that same concept to yourself, what was I trying to learn? What didn't I know that would have been helpful for me, but I still needed to learn it. In many ways, that does lessen the emotional impact or the shame of the mistake or the direction that you now wish you had not gone in. I remember a good friend of mine who had a very dry sense of humor. I was pummeling myself emotionally for marrying the man that was my second husband. And he looked at me and he said, some things you just have to do. It was an interesting way of thinking about it. But there were things that I needed to learn, as painful as they were, one of them simply being about my own self-worth. I didn't have enough, (laughs) and I had to learn that I was important and I was valuable. So it was a painful way to learn a lesson like that, that I was valuable, valuable enough to not be yelled at and emotionally abused. But gosh, it was a painful way to learn that. I'm sure many of you have gone through similar things. So knowing that you learn something from your mistakes and incorporating that into who you are now can be very important and very healing. That leads us to the fifth question. How would you recognize the same mistake? So you have to check in. Am I acting out of destructive emotion? Am I acting out of a belief that I've already found out is irrational? Am I needing to learn a lesson one more time, really? Or do I know this lesson? It's just a hard choice to make. Sometimes doing the non-self-destructive thing is the harder choice. This is especially true with things like addictions, where you know that drinking too much or smoking weed too much or whatever it is that you do is bad for you, but it's much harder to not make the mistake. Anyway, that is a podcast in and of itself. But you know, one of the scariest things about being a parent is knowing that your mistakes, your flaws are going to affect and challenge your kids. But remember, they'll be the beneficiaries of your strengths. And in fact, they may even inherit some of them. And you can silently smile when you see them grow and learn. But you'll also see the effect of your mistakes. And that's not easy. But if you accept them or you can see them without defensiveness, then perhaps you can help your child work through them. As a therapist, I see people every week who refer to something they've done or said, something that's causing them to struggle, 
I'm the person I used to judge. I've done the same thing that I said I'd never do. Maybe they've hurt others. Maybe they've hurt mostly themselves. But I believe, after being a therapist again for 25 years, that it's integrity that makes you care about your mistakes. People who don't have integrity don't care that they hurt themselves or hurt other people. And it's humility that helps you admit them. And I believe humility is an extremely important character trait. And then finally, it's courage that guides you to make the very hard changes needed. And you can find that courage. So today I have an email from a listener. She says, hi, Dr. Margaret. I struggle with depression and anxiety and recently went through a major depressive episode. I'm working to find a medication adjustment that helps and going to therapy, but I've been struggling for months. My sister recently married. One of my closest friends moved across the country and my roommate is dating someone and no longer has time for our relationship. We've been fighting a lot because she feels I haven't been supportive of her new relationship while I feel abandoned. I'm dealing with a lot of loss on top of my depression. And how do you deal with loss when you're already struggling? How do I know when the emotions I'm feeling are rational or a part of my mental illness? My therapist says it's okay that I've been sad and crying and that I have a right to deal with this as a loss. But others are telling me I'm a bad friend. I did speak out of anger and have been crying very often. I want to be a good friend, but I'm feeling very hurt to go from spending most nights together to seeing her once a week. I feel good after my therapy session, but my roommate and a family member are questioning whether she's a good therapist since she told me that I'm allowed to be emotional in this situation and that by standing up for myself and saying to them what I'm feeling, they believe I'm being selfish and unhealthy. Again, I was impressed by this listener's honesty with herself and her struggle. I think the question of when are things really a loss and when is my depression causing me to perhaps be more sensitive than normal or that perhaps I'm not even thinking clearly about this issue. So here's my answer. First, I'm sorry that you're experiencing such a difficult time. Depression is hard in and of itself and I'm glad you're seeking answers and help. I agree with your therapist that you have the right and maybe even the need to work through your sadness that things are changing in a way that may be positive for others that you care about, but are going to require adjustments on your part and currently feel like loss. The problem seems to be with calling what is happening abandonment. That word to me suggests intentional rejection or departure where responsibility or caring is suddenly absent. The lives of a close friend, your sister and your roommate have changed, and they aren't spending the time with you that they did in the past, both for perhaps emotional reasons and pragmatic reasons. But they haven't intentionally left you in the lurch. You have sadness about the change, which is normal, and it sounds as if you're lonely. Sometimes what is good for one person isn't great for the other, and you may need to grieve. Your roommate may or may not stay in the relationship with her new boyfriend, but sounds as if you value your relationship with her. So trying to go along with the change, taking care of yourself as you do, seems to be an answer. 
What might be best for you and for your relationships is to talk with your therapist about your grief, but begin the process of moving ahead with your own life. I understand respect that when you're depressed, moving on can be more difficult. Perhaps you could join a therapy group or discover other people in your environment and world that would be supportive and helpful while enjoying what you can with the people who are your friends now. You know, it's interesting, something about therapy that's important to understand, because what happens in therapy is that you do get support, but it's also important, and what is part of good therapy, is when a therapist helps you understand the impact of your own actions, your own words, on other people. And I think, obviously, in this case, telling people that you believe they're abandoning you would likely create some defensiveness. So this listener, her job at this point is to try to hang in there, see what happens with her friend, her sister, and her roommate. Be in those relationships as she can be, but seek out other relationships as well. So her own life is moving on. It's sort of like what you have to do with empty nest. When your child leaves the home, you have to create a new life for yourself that's not necessarily centered on that child. And you can learn from that recentering process. I want to thank you again for tuning in today to Self Work. There are lots of ways you can reach out to me or connect with me. As this listener did, you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. That email is confidential. And if you don't want me to use your email on the air, then certainly I will not do so. All you have to do is let me know. But I'll try to answer you as quickly as possible. I love the review I got this week that said I literally got back to this guy in 18 hours, which I did. I can't always do that, but I happen to have the time. So I will answer you as soon as I can. And please, it means so much for some of you who have the time to leave me a rating or review anywhere where you listen, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. That's the best way to let me know that you're supportive and that you're enjoying the podcasts. My website, which actually I've recreated and I'm launching a new one this Sunday, is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can subscribe there and receive a weekly newsletter that will include new podcasts as well as new blog posts. But you can also subscribe wherever you listen. So thank you again. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.